Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey, guys. Today, I'm going to be sharing a conversation I had with Eugene Cho. Eugene is the author of a book called Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. 
It is all about how to talk about politics with people you disagree with without ruining the relationship. And so we had a very interesting discussion about this that I think is incredibly timely, given that we are inching closer and closer to the election and tensions are very high. But first, I'm going to do a quick self-care check-in with Rue. Rue, how's your self-care going? I... um. I am so ashamed, but I'm also touched, but I'm also ashamed by what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Okay. So usually, I don't always have a cleaning uh, service come, but sometimes I do. Yeah. You know, depending on the season of life, it's either once a week or once a month or what what have you. So I've been using the same very lovely woman from Brazil, uh, lovely, for years now, and We primarily text, and English is not her first language, so texting is a little bit easier than trying to get on the phone, which is great because who wants to get on the phone anyway? So before she comes, I usually do like a tidy, just make sure everything's kind of put away and isn't too terrible for her to come and her team to come and do their thing. But I had a meeting, and I had to rush out the door, and so I didn't do the regular tidy, and I didn't think it was that bad. I just thought it was like, ah, she'll have to kind of go around this thing. or And I texted her, and I was like, hey, sorry, I left the ironing board out, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she came, I vented her, the usual thing. The next day, I get a text, and it goes, <laughs> Rue, um... I really care about you. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. I care about you too. <laughs> She's like, I'm concerned. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and she's like, I, I really want to help you organize your home. And I was like, oh my God. I am being, I was just, I'm like, is it really that bad? I am just so ashamed. And she's like, look, I'm worried about you. You work a lot. And, you know, you're taking care of your three kids, and I want to come to your house and organize it for you for free. Oh, my gosh. For free, no cost, because you're a good woman, and I care about you, and I'm worried about you. That is so funny. I'm mortified. Just absolutely mortified. And I, you know, text my friends. I'm like, is my house that bad? And they're like, no, no. Now, that said... My closets aren't great. Like, the pantry is a little overstuffed. If you go in my cabinets, my kitchen cabinets, they could use some organizing. But it's not like I have – it's not like we just have piles and piles of stuff out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just the fact that she offered has filled me with shame (laughs) at the same time making me feel so endeared to her. Like, how sweet. And so I texted her back and said, thank you so much. That's really kind of you. Of course, I'd love to have you come organize, but of course, I'll pay you, you know. Um, But that weekend, I just ran around the house. You shame cleaned? Oh, my gosh. Shame cleaned, shame purged, shame donated to Goodwill, shame all the things. And I... Yeah, just absolutely mortified, like simultaneously mortified and touched. So <laughs> I have been, I have been shame organizing and I have been going through my girl stuff with no mercy. Just you haven't worn this in two weeks. It's out of here. Totally. You haven't worn these shoes. They're out of here, you know, and just, uh, getting bins and like donating via buy nothing and just made a rule, you know, no one brings anything into this home. Uh-huh. Nothing. Not one chat, uh-huh. not one thing that you think is going to be great and it's not. So anyway, um 
That was a moment of real embarrassment. And I'm sweating just (laughs) telling you this story because I am so embarrassed. Well, I mean, I have also my I have a cleaning lady who comes every week and she has not offered to organize for free. But what she did tell me one time, I guess there was a day that we just had not picked up enough. And she said, like, I'm going to have to charge you more if the stuff isn't picked up. You know, she's like, I can't Mm -hmm. spend my time picking up your daughter's markers or whatever has been left all over the floor. Right. Um, And I was like, okay, well, I'm not paying more. And so I, I have also used shame. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I use it towards my children. So every to every Thursday night, because they come on Friday, I'm like, you guys have to clean your room or they're going to charge me more. <laughs> right. And so it becomes like this big sort of um, like metric every week of like, it has to be housekeeper clean. Like your room has to be housekeeper clean. Uh, yeah. But it kind of yeah. works, actually. It kind of yeah, works. Yeah, I might have to do that because I think it probably is a lot of, you know, they they have like one kid's always doing science experiments. One kid always has like dress up clothes out. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just one of those things. Oh, I know. And, and then you just collect stuff, you know, I know. and I'm, never, I'm not, I'm not a hoarder by any means, but anyway, yeah. So I am going to continue to shame clean, I think. <laughs> well, it's funny that this was your check in because my check in has been that I have been massively organizing my house because I, like much of America, have been watching that home edit show on Netflix. Oh, is it good? You know, it is, but it's a little bit stressful. I actually, I will say that I preferred the Marie Kondo show. Mm hmm. Um, to this one. Um, they are a little bit more, I mean, their finished product is prettier, I will say. You know, Marie, I think is a little more practical. You know, she's like, use what you have, put your underwear in, in shoe boxes, you know. Right. Um, where home edit is like, go buy all matching crystal containers from the container store. Right. Um, but I have been really organizing. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I had torn my kitchen apart. And so mm-hmm. in doing that, I I decided like, okay, everything is going to be in zones and I'm going to have everything super organized. So like all of the cups are in the same pantry with the smoothie thing and with the coffee thing and everything is behind a door. Um And then I went through all our medications. I took everything out of their original bottles, put them in like (gasps) cute jars with labels. Yes. You mean like Tylenol is now in just like a really pretty jar? Tylenol is in a pretty jar, all matching. So I did that to my medications. And now I'm working on that with my spices. Oh, my gosh. And it just makes me I, you know, there's so much out of my control right now. So much. And in just a weird way, doing this makes me feel good right now. Yeah. Like, no, I I, I get that. I get that. Uh, is your family on board? Oh, yeah. The, the girls love it. I mean, oh, they, I'm sure. they they sat there and did all the medications with me. We're like, you know. Your mini Enneagram threes? Yeah, totally. I don't doubt it. They're making labels <laughs> for me and, you know, we're sorting pills. Um, I mean... <laughs> Then, of course, my boyfriend's like, so how are you going to know what the dose is? And I'm like, that doesn't matter. Well, I was just going to ask, you know, like, how do you know whether to take one or two? I'll Google it. I actually remember. I remember for everything. And so people just have to ask me. But got it. I might have to make better labels in the future. Like, I I might have to revisit that. I will say that, you know, as someone who takes daily medication for various things, 
There are some days that I forget whether or not I took my medication. Uh, yeah. So I was going to do that, you know, older person thing where you get like a little pill box. Oh, yeah. It's like the easy open. And I ended up finding a really fancy looking one that there is no reason to spend, you know, $20 on a pill box, but it's just, it's pretty and it's sleek. And so I did that. And now I have a really pretty pill box on my nightstand. And at the beginning of the week, I kind of divvy it up so I know that I'm not like either double dosing or not oh, totally. dosing at all. You know? Yeah. No, I, I I do the same thing, and I do the same thing for my kids with the with the geriatric pill boxes. <laughs> yes, I. Well, I maybe maybe if I watch the home edit and I make my family watch the home edit, everyone will be inspired because I feel like the only maniac right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I hear you. Yeah. My kids are a little bit like, oh, mom. It's just a little overboard. You're doing the thing again, Mom. <laughs> totally. Um, cool. What are your thumbs up for the week? Okay. Well, my th- one of mine um, happens to be a pill also. So, you know, I love the CBD. Um, yes. But I don't – and I've been taking CBD for a long time. I'm, I'm still a big proponent of it. I do not love the way CBD drops taste. Mm. I still find them, like, a little earthy, and they just taste a little bit like marijuana. You, you mean, like, the, the tinctures? The tinctures. I oh, got it. Yeah, the drops, the oils, which it, which seems to be how most companies make them. Right. Um, and then some companies have made gel caps, but I did finally find a company that makes them just as pills. Like, Ooh. just a normal, typical pill. Um, it's called the Happy Lab. They're called Chill Pills. Nice. Um, they come in a really cute little tin. Um, they have 30 milligrams of CBD, but then they also have valerian root and passion flower, which are supposed to be like de-stressing, calming. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great everyday pill. I take that one. And then um, one of my kids takes one every day also. Are they big? Little. They're really teeny tiny. Oh, okay. I do yeah. like a small pill. Okay. They're small. It looks, it looks like a mint tin and they're like the size of little mints. Oh, I like this. Yeah. I am definitely going to order these because I want to take more, you know, like vitamins and, and that sort of thing. But when I see that they're huge and they oh, taste I gross, I, there's just no way I'm going to choke those down. So no. the fact that these are small, I'm going to order these. Yes. Yes. Um, and then I found a mask. So I usually wear cloth masks. But right. on occasion, I have that situation where I want, like, something really heavy duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been thinking about flying. I'm not totally sure yet. But if I was going to fly, I wanted a better mask. You know, there's just certain places I go where I want a little step up from, like, the old navy cloth mask. Yeah. Um, so there's a company called Air Queen, um, airqueen.com. They have masks where they have basically – created an N95 equivalent, and then they cleared it with the FDA at that same level. Oh, that's cool. And so it, you know, N95s are really hard to come by now, but this is like the equivalency of an N95. Um, And they, I really like them. They fold up. So they're, you know how the N95s are kind of like a cone, like like a really stiff shape? Yeah, they're hard too. They're hard. These fold up and then they fold out. So I don't know, the shape is a little more comfortable to me than an N95. Um, and they feel, they feel kind of papery. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you can definitely tell they are a little more heavy duty than like a cloth mask, uh, but they don't feel quite as 
heavy duty as an N95 and they're really nice. So anyway, I have a couple of those on hand as like my, you know, if I have to go somewhere really serious and want a little extra level of protection. Well, it's interesting. So you sing and my partner sings and lately has been singing at hospitals because, Uh, you know, they, they need that kind of uplifting moment too. And he does hospice and and nursing homes as well. But now in the COVID era, he is singing through an N95 and a cloth mask on top. Wow. And it is brutal because those, you know, the two of those combined are, are rough. So I wonder if these are any, are any easier to sing through. I bet they would be. Mm, I'll check these out. Yeah. What do you have? Okay, I have one thing that has very much changed my life and another thing that I also like. So I'll start with the like thing. So I got, um, I like a multi-purpose makeup item. So like a dual, you know, a dual uh, tinted moisturizer with SPF or a dual lip and cheek color. Yes. Um, But I like a more natural look and I don't like to mess with powders because I like a lot of, I like my face to look greasy all the time, just like super wet. So (laughs) I'll do, you know, moisturizer and uh, SPF and then I'll use this like, I don't know, this, like this serum that's a little bit shiny. And I found um, it's by The Bomb. It's called Staniac. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lip and cheek color. And I've noticed that I can keep, like, my cheeks can be moisturized and my lips can be moisturized because I hate having, you know, dry lips. And I just pat that color on top. And it's a really pretty stain. And it doesn't dry me out. It's not, you know how, like, a really matte lipstick can dry oh, your, yeah. your lips out? I can't even do it. Yeah. Well, I just put like a little moisturizer on top or underneath and it's a pretty color and uh, it doesn't dry me out. So I really like this and it's nice to just kind of toss in your bag because um, yeah. it's a multi, it's a it's a dual purpose. So I like this a lot and I think the color is really pretty. Um, yeah, I think the color is really pretty. It is. The second thing is I have been waking up at 5 a.m. every day. No. Which is, has been amazing because I find it, I have a couple hours in the morning where it's just me by myself. Yeah. And you know, remember the week that we talked about dithering and puttering? Yes. I get so much puttering time done. That's nice. And the reason why, the only reason why I can wake up at five is because I bought a Ninja coffee maker and it's one of the, I've always used like a French press, but it's Mm -hmm. one of these like fancy ones and you can have like a little frother and you can make a carafe or whatever. And it was a bit of an investment. It was not cheap, but I was like desperate and I, I would pay money for something to change my life. Yes. So I have it set for at 4.55 every morning, or you have to do it the night before, but at 4.55 every morning, it brews a pot of coffee. So when my alarm goes off, I I know that there's hot coffee downstairs waiting mm. for me. And it is enough motivation to get my ass out of bed, yeah. you know? And so I just go downstairs and I pour my coffee and I, I like a, I like like a little bit of a, a ritual, a bit of a slow phase for yeah. moving from one thing to another, a, a slow transition. So I'll sit and I'll drink my coffee and then maybe I'll go outside or maybe that'll be like my deep writing time. And I feel it's been, it's been great. And I don't find that the taste isn't as amazing as like grinding the beans fresh and sticking them into yeah. a French press. 
So um, if this thing broke right now or if someone took a bat to it, I would immediately get in my car and buy another one. That's how much <laughs> this means to me. That is so funny. Ninja is such a great company. I have um, their blender and I really right. like it. Yes. Now I'm I'm really I'm really pleased with this. Of course, I've been getting into bed at nine every night and just kind wow. of yeah. So um, it's funny, Kristen. When you and I text each other, it's almost like because you're kind of a night owl and I'm kind of a lark. It's like I'll get a text from you and I'll have just woken up and you'll have just gone to bed. Oh, totally. <laughs> we are on opposite schedules. It's amazing yes. that we find a time that we're both awake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Ebby, a seamless underwear membership. Ebby is underwear with purpose. They are seamless and smooth with the perfect amount of stretch and softness. Is it possible to be obsessed with your underwear? You just might be because these are your new favorites. They have a superpower for fighting visible panty lines slipping or writing up. That's right, no panty lines ever because they have a great no-slip grip that keeps everything in place. They also have a cotton lining to keep your lady parts healthy. They have fits and styles in sizes extra small to 4X to fit every woman. But the best part about joining Ebby is that it keeps your underwear drawer fresh and helps fund cyclical microfinance loans for women around the world. 10% of every Ebby purchase funds business loans for women, empowering women out of poverty and into business. Membership also gives you access to exclusive member-only offers, free shipping, limited edition prints, and weekly power tips on confidence and productivity. You can get 20% off your first order at joinebby.com with the code SELFIE20. That's joineby.com with the code SELFIE20. We've talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift, and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. 
So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones, and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So with two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral. But what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white, pastel neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. Well, hey, Eugene. Hello, hello. Uh, just for what it's worth, I think it's important for us to note that the last time you and I hung out was when we had the best kebab in the world in Iraq. I have to ask you this important question, which is that have you had a better kebab since or do you still maintain that was the best kebab? That was not the best kebab <laughs> in the world. But you and I both were duped along with a couple other folks because the signage at, in it that restaurant was, was the called, largest. Yeah. Well, it was the largest best kebab in the world sign I have ever seen. <laughs> was it was? Yeah. Although it was a it was a good it was a strong kebab. It was strong. It was but strong. Not the best. Not the best. We we had some good food on that trip. Oh, some of the best food I've ever had. It really was. We went to um, Iraq and then we went to um, Lebanon and I, was, I wasn't I was prepared for how good the food was. It was incredible. Uh, and we learned a lot, obviously. And we were there for humanitarian purposes, but mostly my takeaway was the food. So, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, it was, it was actually a, a, a really profound trip. Well, you've written a book that I love the title of, which is... How to not be a jerk, essentially. Yes, here it is. Thou shalt, shalt not be a not jerk. Be a jerk. A Christian's guide to engaging politics. Yeah, which um, is resonant for me because I'm a Christian and I like to talk about politics a lot. I I was doing a podcast for a bit with a another Christian friend who was Republican and I'm Democrat, and so we were trying to like model civil discourse, but that doesn't that doesn't happen so often in our Christian circles. I'm afraid. 
Christian circles, non-Christian circles, it's pretty true. much a mess right now. It is pretty much a mess. Um, and did you ever think when you were writing this book that we would be where we are right now? <laughs> no, uh, which is probably the reason why I quit writing the book four times. Uh, on four distinct occasions, I said, enough, there's no way I'm going to write this book. This is too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, to be honest, I'm glad I've written the book. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, whenever you put something out in public, you're going to get both affirmations and you're going to get your share of critics as well. Oh, sure. And that's the world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, and, you know, our our um, dialogue around politics, I mean, we'll get to this in a, in a bit, but I think it's just, it's... To, from my opinion, it's only heightened just in terms of the vitriol and the anger. I mean, it just seems, to, and I know we're coming up to an election, but it does seem to be at a fever pitch right now. I don't think anyone would dispute either of us on that point. That might yeah. be the one thing that people <laughs> we would could all agree on, on whatever side or nuance yeah. you're in. I think people are, are sensing something is really broken. Yeah. And yet we don't want to do anything about it. Yeah. I was always heavily involved in politics as a Christian, but I was raised believing that a Christian has to be a Republican. Like that was very heavily ingrained um, in my denomination. And I went to a Bible college where, um, and this is not an exaggeration, we had one Democrat at the school. And you know, people whispered that as if they were whispering, he's a pedophile. I mean, it was like, he's a Democrat. And then it was like, Oh, that, that guy is really weird. Of a school of like, you know, 500 people, one Democrat. So, you know, my political understanding growing up was really just we had to align with one political party, and that was the Christian party. Well, how about you? How, how, how did you start to engage in politics? Well, my first entry into politics was in middle school when I ran for middle school president. Yeah. I was crushed. I got 8% of the vote. Oh. The glass. But aside from that, uh, like you, I think I became a Christian at the age of 18. And when I began to ask questions, because I've always been a person, I think like you, who've asked questions. Um, and what I was told about politics is that you don't talk about politics. Mm-hmm. Either one or two, good Christians, faithful Christians always vote Republican. Right. That was my entry into it. I think it's very common for those who are under the larger umbrella of evangelicalism. I know it's a real broad uh, tent. Yeah. Part of the reason why I wrote this book, yes, was to speak to that. But now living in Seattle, which like in Southern California, uh, tends to be very progressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Even as you and I are talking right now, there are massive protests going on in Seattle. Everyone's checking on me. Are you okay? Are you Uh still alive? Do you have access to water? Do you have access to grocery? <laughs> have the socialists taken over? Oh, uh, no, not the socialists. But, but here in Seattle, I would say that it's the opposite of what I experienced mm-hmm. when I first became a Christian, where mm-hmm. if you are a Christian, you must vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. And for those who have any entertaining thoughts about conservatism, mm-hmm. you, you kind of get the same backlash that yeah. you experienced, that one that one Democrat person that you mentioned in mm-hmm. your Bible college. So it's been an interesting tension, this, this, yeah. this pendulum, if you will. And I, I suspect that you've experienced that as well. I absolutely have. And it's interesting, you know, because now I, I, w- I would um, probably call myself like more of a progressive Christian than an evangelical, although, and ag- again, you know, these names and these, 
you know, we're talking about um, political polarization, but there's polarization in, you know, religious identification as well. And I, I probably still hold some very evangelical beliefs that, you know, and, and yet I hold some very progressive beliefs, but um, I've, I found that same thing that is, you know, I've moved into more progressive circles, then it's like, no, you have to be a Democrat. And what I find interesting is, I, I think that I left fundamentalism, but then I see the tenets of fundamentalism crop up in, in progressive circles as well. It's almost like we didn't do the inner work. And so, you know, over here in conservative land, we were excluding based on, you know, there was some tribalism and there's some, you know, um, groupthink and, um, you're in or you're out mindset and sure. cancel culture in conservative circles. But then a lot of people jumped over to more a more progressive stance, but then they kept all of the same um, really kind of black and white thinking and black and, black and white views. So it's like we well, have fundamentalists over here as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I talk a lot about those aspects in my book, and they're very concerning. You know, uh, from a political uh, speak, some might call that identity politics. Mm-hmm. I think what it does is that it makes us lazy. Mm-hmm. We stop thinking, and yeah. because of this tribalism, we simply adopt whatever the larger party says. Mm-hmm. And so the, the classic question that I've received over the years, both as a pastor and a leader, but just as an author about a book on politics, the number one question is, okay, let's just get to it. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? Are you conservative or liberal? And I think it's because people want those clear delineation of mm-hmm. what compartments or boxes we fit yeah. into. And my honest response, I'm not trying to, to skirt the answer or to be circuitous. My honest answer is, what are we talking about? On what yeah. issue? Yeah. Because in the same way that you say, well, I have some evangelical views, progressive views, and I think that's fair. I don't know what those would be, but that for me sounds natural and human mm-hmm. because I just don't think it's good or healthy for us to align with mm-hmm. one simple label if we do that for ourselves, we're going to start doing it for others. And the danger about this mm-hmm. is we start dehumanizing those that we disagree with, even right. though we don't quite know that. And we end up doing those very things to the people that we criticize. And so it's this endless loop that we end up being in. And it's so toxic and dangerous. Yeah, it's I completely agree. And I I was even for a long time hesitant to declare a political party because I felt strongly that like, no, I want to in, you know, for every politician and for every measure, I, I want to really actually think for myself and study and think for myself. And I ended up declaring a political party just because you don't get to vote in primaries in California if you're not, you know, if you're not declared. Um, And I, you know, I definitely find myself in alignment with one political party most of the time. Um, But I, but I am trying to, you know, just as a, as a person trying to not fall into that, what you were saying of just like, this is a line and I have to obey, you know, what the whole group thinks all the time. But it's challenging. Well, it is challenging, but I think we hear it often in our airwaves, in our cable news, in among pundits is basically just vote red or vote mm-hmm. blue, just across down right. the aisle. And again, I just think as Christians, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong for people to feel an affinity or an affiliation with one party, but I think there's a difference between that and absolute blind loyalty, right. especially when you're unwilling to speak to your own party or your own affiliation. 
because I think traditionally we feel much more comfortable flipping other people's tables. Mm-hmm. We feel good placing judgment and justice upon others. We, we like rioting and protesting other people, but we don't always do it to the party or to those that we typically affiliate ourselves with. I think both are really important. It's a lot easier to flip other people's tables rather than our own. And so we need that self-awareness, that maturity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's lacking, I feel like, in our mm-hmm. political landscape right now is it's too much finger pointing and not enough really introspective examination of our own selves as well. Olivia, I'm going to be really honest in this conversation is here's where I'm struggling now, because I, I agree that we should not be, you know, pointing fingers. And I agree that we should not be kind of demonizing the other side. But where I struggle right now, is I feel like, you know, we have a, you know, a president who is, um, I think, stoking a lot of racism, a lot of misogyny. Um, And that's where I struggle with, you know, I mean, you said it in the intro of your book, the policies that put in place are, are, that are put in place are personal. And when there's policies that begin to feel like they're oppressive, then I start feeling like now I've like, I don't know, like I, I do feel that I need to not demonize, but denounce Sure. The party that is that is supporting those platforms. Sure. Yeah, and I think our, our call for civility, our call for respect, I think, isn't permission for us to be silent. Mm-hmm. It isn't permission for us to not engage and to call out yeah. and to speak out on yeah. certain things. And I think it's important for us to do it. Yeah, I, I really do. I think in the same way that you and I have just agreed that we shouldn't demonize people. I think there is something also incredibly dangerous about silence, right? about our complicity of silence. Yeah. And this is not just for those who disagree with, but I'm particularly frustrated with those who may have voted for our current administration, the current president. Like, I feel like, hey, if you voted for this person, uh-huh. uh, you should be holding this person accountable as well. Right. Certainly, those that didn't should also be doing that as well. Yeah. The reality is, I, I just feel like uh, unless it's it's people's individual respective basis that can hold them res- uh, accountable in some mm-hmm. ways. So even though I may not have voted for our current president, I want to pray for him. I want to, but I also want to hold him accountable and to mm-hmm. speak truth to that power. Uh, about I don't know, two months ago, I, I mean, for me, I thought it was it was respect. It was respect. Uh, I was as respectful as I could be, but I sent out a tweet about President Trump with his usage of Chinese virus, for example. Yeah. And it just went viral. Um, Mm -hmm. And the Washington Post picked it up. About 12, 14 newspapers picked it up. Um, For a second, I thought I may have lost uh, a job that I had just signed up for Mm -hmm. uh, as a result of it. But I think it was, again, that balance of I don't want people who read my book about don't being a jerk to interpret that as we should be passive, quiet, submissive, yeah. and not say anything. Yeah. I think we can do both. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's this idea that you have to relinquish one or the other. Yes. And we have to do both. Yeah. I I totally agree. And yet we 
why do we find it so difficult? You know, because it's like we're we're talking about polarization, you know, both po- political and religious, but we also have some polarization in like, you know, we're either going to be completely silent or we're going to, you know, run in which with pitchforks. Like, what's the balance of of seeing? you know, other people as fully human, and and then standing up for the rights of, you know, the marginalized? That's a great question. And you should write that book next. Because I think <laughs> a lot, I think a lot of folks, I think it's, the, it's, it's actually the question. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, I think, I think of two things, a couple things come to mind. One, we don't see many people modeling it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's not, it's not very um, viral. It's not very glamorous. It's not. It, you're you're yeah. so right on that. It's the folks I think that are quote unquote extremists, the loudest that seem to get picked up mm-hmm. by the blogosphere, by social media, by by the news. And so I just think for that reason, it's not the currency that our society mm-hmm. functions in. It That's feels so like true. It. Our society runs on the currency of mm-hmm. anger, outrage. Yeah, kind of that whole, you know, and and so I think we need to have more and more people so that it's not just a handful, but a choir of people saying we can do both of these things. And we should never be, I think, tepid or timid about voicing our convictions and pursuing them, because as you and I have said, I mean, policies, when it's all said and done, it does ultimately impact people um, Mm -hmm. and we should voice our convictions. Yeah, I I want to just reiterate so much of what you said in terms of what gets picked up and what goes viral, because it is, it is, it is always extreme views that people amplify. And so what we see is the most extreme views of either side. And that, you know, that's been true for me. I mean, the tweets that I've had go viral probably have not been my most elegant or gracious, gracious tweets, to be honest. You know, I mean, there've been a few where I've, I've been like, I don't know if I would have worded that (laughs) that way had I known it was going to go as far as it did, but we do live in a society where, you know, I mean, it's even true as you watch, as you watch the protests that, that are happening all around us, it's like they were all on the news when it was rioting and looting, but the, the, predominance of the protests have been incredibly peaceful and those are not making the news. So what we see and what makes headlines and clickbait and, and viral tweets is people being extreme and people being angry. We don't see a lot of civility. So it's interesting because I think the phrase that came to mind is it doesn't sell. Yeah. That's, that's the point. It doesn't sell. And, And in some ways I think, you know, our, our current president uses the term fake news and mm-hmm. he uses it excessively anytime he disagrees with something. But I think if we take a step back, I think there is something that he's saying that all of us can agree with is that we we just need healthier engagement. We need the media to be healthier. And then we also need healthier engagement with the media and holding mm-hmm. um, holding the media accountable as well. Mm-hmm. But it is difficult because it just doesn't quite sell, which is the reason why we need more and more people um, to speak up, mm-hmm. to model both of those things so that it's a choir of people that are modeling this messy, messy middle. And by middle, I'm not yeah. speaking about a political middle, mm-hmm. but this tension between um, to some, you might just be too conservative. To others, you'll be too liberal. 
But somewhere in that middle, we're just trying our best to have integrity, uh, to love people, to care, uh, to be able to demonstrate civility and respect, and at the same time, have fierceness about the convictions that we have, because we know that it's impacting human people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think I have heard some troubling messages from churches. And I mean, even in my former church of messages of just like, well, Christians should be winsome, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't engage in these conversations, because they're, you know, they're um, not unifying or they're, you know, and so, you know, I worry that some Christians are even getting the message that they should be quiet, like that they shouldn't enter the public square, so to speak, on politics. Right. right. Well, I, I think there are three groups of people that, that I sought to engage in my book. I think there is a group of people, a legitimate large group of Christians who, for whatever reason, it could mm-hmm. be instructions, mm-hmm. like the one that you explained. Sometimes it's theological, um, I think, holes where we've been told that we should only focus on spiritual things. Right. Politics isn't spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and then there are those who I think who detach themselves from politics because they're just exhausted. And I get that. I think mm-hmm. there are moments throughout the week where I feel exhausted and I need to engage in self care. I think there's a second group of people that are so obsessed with politics. I think there's one thing to care, mm-hmm. but there's another level where we're so obsessed that we justify everything that we do because of our political ideology. And we don't quite. Um, And if I'm honest with myself, I feel like there are times I'll get into that, into that rabbit hole and I have to just take a moment and just pause. Yeah. And I think there's a large group of people, maybe the larger group of people who know they take their faith in Christ seriously. They know that politics matter. And the tension is, how do we do this well in a crazy Mm -hmm. time right now? And I think this is the reason why your book, my book, the conversations that many people are having, these are really important conversations as we're trying to say, let's try to figure out a better way to model what it means to love Jesus and to be a good citizen in this world. Those things are not competing things to each other. To be a good citizen, I think, is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. Um, how does the how does that look at the dinner table? You know, how does that look at Thanksgiving? How does that look as we engage with like you know? I mean, I have um, a parent who is very entrenched in what I would say just really fundamentalist politics, meaning um, you know she's only in taking news that is fitting a certain confirmation bias. And she's not following a lot of the um, values that I was raised with in, in her current political alignment. Like, you know, what does that look like at the dinner table with people who are, you know, maybe foregoing some more obvious tenets of the faith in favor of political alignment? Sure. Well, uh, um, there's a practical answer, and then I'm going to send it back to you because I'd love to hear your answer, and then I'll share my answer. First, the most practical advice I can give people is make sure you're able to finish the food, especially if you're a guest, because you don't want to get kicked out before you get to eat the free food. It's a good, so make sure, good point. Yeah, make sure. Get that kebab get to, down. That's right. Make sure <laughs> we get to enjoy the meal. I mean, uh, but I, I'd love to hear from you because I know that part of your giftings is the relational component 
obviously family matters to all of us. Uh, how, how would you answer your question? Uh, I mean, it's been a real struggle for me. I think um, I vacillate between feeling some obligation to stay in the conversation because I, I'm a voice that, you know, might not otherwise be heard. Right. So I, I I feel like I, there's a little bit of like responsibility of like, and I even think, I mean, as a white person, I feel like, I also feel like it's kind of incumbent upon white people to be policing other white people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when we are, when I'm faced with, you know, whether it's a family member or coworker or someone who is behaving in ways that I think are, are, you know, dangerous or alarming to people of color, I feel like, okay, I need to engage. Like I, I have a voice here and I need to use that relationship. But then there's also a part of me that feels like I just want to give up. Like I just want to disengage. Like I, it feels Mm -hmm. toxic and I want to go like, I'm out, I'm done. I can't, you know, if you're going to continue to vote in a way that, you know, keeps people who have racist platforms behind them. And again, it's weird because we're no longer talking about politics, really. We're not talking about the size of government anymore. We're not talking about, you know, how much taxes each person should be required to pay. We're talking mm. about policies that that affect immigrants, that affect, you know, minorities. That's where I start to want to, like, quit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I hear you. Quit the whole relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, I think, I think, um, I mean, it's honest and vulnerable. Um, that's how I feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Conversations, whether it's family or friends or church congregants. Uh, but a couple thoughts that I'll, I'll just share. And it's not that I'm trying to sound overly pastoral. Like I've given myself some, um, some like framework for the conversation. Yeah. Because I think we, we kind of need some boundaries for ourselves. Yeah. So one of my boundaries is, hey, I'm not meant to be a small S savior of every single friendship relationship. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm going to cancel culture, but it yeah. just means that it, I don't always feel like it's my sole responsibility to get mm-hmm. somebody in the right path, if you will. Right. And so I have to kind of give myself some space to say, hey, is this way too toxic? Do I need to mm-hmm. kind of step off the, 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 the gas accelerator, if you will? Mm-hmm. Having said that, the point that you made earlier, I think, was so important that had you not pushed back at that forwarded mail that was sent to the pastors and elders and spouses, um, who knows what that seed may have done? Who knows? I think sometimes we need these voices. We need to be these voices to others. And then mm-hmm. we have to be honest and say we actually need voices in us, in mm-hmm. our lives as well. Because yeah. I have to acknowledge that maybe I have some blind spots amid some of the passion and convictions mm-hmm. that I have about whatever policies or issues. Because I'm not an expert on all things. So those are some of the, the, the basic framework that I have. And along with that, you know, just generally speaking, unless it's absolutely a matter of life and death situation, I don't. I just don't believe in cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I don't want to practice cancel culture. I don't want to do it. And if that means I need to just step off mm-hmm. and not be at someone's face and vice versa, because I don't want to engage in that practice. It mm-hmm. pains me to hear real stories. 
people from the church that I pastored for many years literally break up their relationship with their parents or their children as Mm -hmm. a result of politics. Now, I know that sounds really privileged. I know that it matters. I know that politics does matter. But I just think to the point that we're actually breaking up, severing relationships with our family members as a result of this, for me, just doesn't seem right to me. Um, Again, I know it's easier said than done. But those are just some general framework that I try to operate in. The last thing that I'll just share is this. I I, I really do think just your core question about the dinner table is really important because when was the last time you saw someone's views change over a Facebook screaming match or a Twitter engagement? I do think think it's the dining table. It's out of relationship and it's, it's raw. But I think it actually has a lot of, it may be one of the few places in our culture where actual hearts and minds mm-hmm. can be genuinely engaged, mm-hmm. even if it's a little raw and painful. Yeah. Um, so I, I would tell people, man, don't give up on that dining table. Don't yeah. give up on the conversation. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the dining table is is where change happens. It's so hard, though. It's 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 a really difficult it's a really difficult place to be when, uh, cause it's so tough. It's like some of it doesn't feel like politics anymore. You know, some of it feels like, hu- like humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if mm-hmm. That makes sense. No, I like, get it. I, yeah. No, I, I mean, we're both basically struggling with our words because I think yeah. we understand how hard and raw and difficult it is. One thing that, that I've learned over the years as I've, whether it's dining tables or having conversations with church folks, congregants, is I've realized that when it's all said and done, everybody wants to be heard. Yeah, that's the and truth. No matter where you are, everybody yeah. wants to be heard. And I've learned painfully that before I try to correct or share my views, I just genuinely want to honor the other person's humanity. Mm-hmm by saying, you know what, I want to listen to you. Yeah. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And I think just that posture has really diffused mm-hmm. some of the already present tension that exists. Uh, but just, I think if we can just understand that everybody wants to be heard, everybody wants to be loved. Yeah. Um, I think we'll go a long way. I think you're right. And I think, you know, one of the, one of my constant struggles and reminders to myself is to try to have empathy, even if even if I feel like a viewpoint is ridiculous, right? Like, I mean, an, an example would, a ben, more benign example would be, I'm struggling with, there's people in my community who are protesting wearing masks, and they're going to meetings. And like, th- this has become their, their, they think it's like a civil rights issue, and they're conflating it to slavery, right? And I really struggle with this because I'm like, first of all, this is not a civil right. Second of all, you know, come on you guys. Right. And I've, I've gotten really, really judgmental and frustrated. And then I have to try to, to think for myself, what's driving this for them. They're scared. What are they scared of losing their civil rights? Now, do I think they're going to lose their civil rights? I absolutely don't. But can I empathize with the fact that they actually are scared that they will 
even if it's irrational, like, and I try to think to myself, have I had had an irrational fear before? I have. Have I been scared of something that doesn't make any sense? I have. So can I try to put myself in like, and give them a little ounce of grace that this is coming from them being really scared about this boogeyman of like losing their civil rights. Mm. And I can try to hold empathy, but even as it's coming out of my mouth, I still feel a lot of judgment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And it's, but it's hard. I think, that's, I think that's honest and real. It's the balance of both of those things. What I would do, what I would say is first, I would, <laughs> I would put on my mask. There you go. <laughs> and I would say, wear your mask. I know. Well, I mean, that's a cultural thing, too, isn't it? That Americans, I mean, we don't know what to do with this. You know, having traveled a lot, it's like, guys, people have been doing this for a long time in other cultures. Oh, man. You know? Don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> let, me just, let me just say this. I think this is part of sometimes, like, I am a, a proud, naturalized American citizen fully acknowledging what a broken, uh, fallen, and yet beautiful part of the world America is. All of those things, I get it. But sometimes my concern about this American exceptionalism yeah. is that we're blind to acknowledging we actually have things to learn from other cultures oh my and gosh. other nations. Yeah. I don't understand. And so like wearing masks, like when you see how other nations who traditionally wear masks, yeah. who don't wear shoes in their homes as right. a second example. Right. I'm not trying to make I'm not trying to make America Asian again. That's not my point, but I'm suggesting <laughs> that we have things to learn we have things from to learn. other cultures. And right. that's that's a good thing. It is. It is. And I've always found it fascinating that America just really we don't want to learn. Like we don't want to learn. We don't, you know, we don't want to go like, hmm, could we do healthcare better? Like is maybe everyone no, else doing it better than us? Is the best. Right. Like, no, we're the greatest. Although I'll tell you one thing that's fascinating to watch is because I grew up with a lot of, you know, patriotism when I was growing up meant that you did think America was the best at everything. Like you, right. it, it was, it was a very sort of narcissistic patriotism. It's, you know, it's kind of like we were all raised in terms of our country, like being like narcissists, like, no, we're, we're the best. We have nothing to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is my kids' generation, I feel like that's gone because my kids are watching, I, you know, I think probably one of our worst presidents ever. They're watching us flail at, at managing COVID. They're watching us flail at managing race. They're watching us flail at managing healthcare. And it's, it's like, it's almost like the the veil has been lifted for this generation. Like they know we're not the best. They know that we have things to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I think. I think that's an interesting thing for a new generation. And then they can still be patriotic and love their country, but I think they can also go like, "Man, we're kind of bungling it in some areas." Mm-hmm. Well, um, it shouldn't be newsflash to anyone. Well, it shouldn't um, be. But yeah, so. yeah. But I. But you know. I don't know. I was definitely raised as like, we just, we are the best at everything. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go bust out in a chant USA just for you. (laughs) Just for me. You would have otherwise though. Yes, that's right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, I hope people will check out your book and where can people find you online? 
Uh, so I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, just on the handle Eugene Cho. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.